And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edaman. Coming up on the show, going to try to get to a few things. I want to talk about, first off, I want to talk about checking ourselves to make sure that our character is correct or that we are acting in a correct manner. And it's just a brief three, four, maybe five questions we can ask ourselves, a self-check questions we can ask ourselves to see just exactly what our motives are like and what we're doing. Also coming up, I would like to uh, talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The new inductees for 2023 have been announced. Talk a little bit about that. And then if we get to it, There are some things in the dating world, some terminology, some behaviors that are quite fascinating as we get into this new age of digital technology. And I mean, you think dating before technology was difficult. It appears that dating in the technological age is becoming pretty, pretty crazy. So we'll touch on that as well if we can get to it. So let's get started with, well, what is it about our character that keeps us from being the best that we can? You know, I like to talk about raising the standard, whatever it might be, but in this case, it's raising the standard on ourselves. That allows us to bring out our inner greatness. Inner greatness allows us to achieve things, to take our passion and make it happen, let ourselves be great inspire and motivate others so that they might be able to then raise their standard, bring out their inner greatness, take their passion, make it happen, and let themselves be great. And then it becomes this proverbial snowball rolling downhill. As it picks up steam, it's getting larger and larger because it's picking up more and more snow. Well, in this case, we're picking up more and more people that are raising their standard. And pretty soon our neighborhoods, our communities, our cities are better off for it. Better place to live. And so that's what we're talking about. So here are some questions that you can ask yourselves. Check yourselves to see exactly what's going on in your life. Are you ready? Are you ready for this gut check? A lot of times when we look at ourselves and we self-critique, are we really honest about things? I mean, we'll look in the mirror at our appearances, right? We'll fix the cap, fix the shirt, do our makeup, fix our goatees and beards, make sure we look good. And so we'll look at ourselves, and from a physical appearance, we want to make sure that we look the best possible depending on what we're doing, right? If we're going out to dinner, if we're going on a first date versus maybe a 20th date, if we're going to work, If we're going to a wedding, however it is, or wherever it is, or whatever it is, we're going to try to dress appropriately, and we look in the mirror and critique ourselves to see and to make sure that we live up to those expectations, at least ourselves. You know, some people day to day will dress nicely all the time. They always dress to impress, no matter what it is. Now, I've never been somebody to sit around on a Saturday afternoon in khaki pants and a cardigan and read Home and Country magazine or something like that, right? 
Home and Garden Magazine. No, I'm a laid-back kind of guy, and you're lucky if you find me in a pair of jeans. When I put anything black on, that's dressing up. But some people will always be dressed to the nines, as they call it. Others will dress accordingly. On a Saturday, they might be home, relaxing, and so they're in loungewear, whether it be shorts, sweats. If they're out in the yard, they're working accordingly, you know, maybe in some work pants, some grubby shoes. If they're out on the town, they dress accordingly, right? So when we look at ourselves, but when we look at ourselves from the inside, do we give ourselves the same type of treatment or do we cut corners? Do we give ourselves some slack? Maybe we don't hold ourselves accountable like we should. So here's some questions you can ask yourself if you want to check the quality of your character, who you are. First question you can ask yourself, am I self-righteous? Am I self-righteous in what I do or is my righteousness, if we want to call it that, is it rooted in something else? Is it rooted in my faith? Is it rooted in my charity? Is it rooted in my love? Is it rooted in something other than myself? You know, oftentimes we look at other people and maybe we look down upon them. Maybe people look down upon us. So we ask the question, do I think that I'm better than others? And that's not to say that your, your talents aren't better than others. Just you as a person, what makes you any different or any better than maybe the next person? Maybe a good comparison might be you and you see someone on the streets and you look upon them and you're like, wow, they're really down in the luck. Maybe they're homeless, but I'm better than that. Or maybe you look at people at work. I'm better than them. And again, we're not talking talent because obviously there are people that have better talents than us, people that can do things better than us. You have ball players, you have musicians, you have actors. They all do the same thing, but their skill set is better. And so they perform better, they play better, they act better. So we're not talking about talents, just how we look at other people. Do we look at them? as if they're lower than us? Do I treat others less than me? This is a big one. A big one when we treat other people or how we treat other people will really let others know the character, the quality of our character that we have. You know, if you think of our lives as a fruit tree and we're bearing fruit, oftentimes think of the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. But when you take a look at the fruit that this tree, our tree of life, is bearing, is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Is it good fruit that's going to nourish somebody and taste good? Or is it going to be something that's sour, bitter, withering on the vine? And so how we treat others is a way in which reflects who we are, really. And again, remember, it comes from the heart. What's on our heart is how we are. What's on our heart is how we think. How we think is how we act and what we say. Do we treat others with respect? Do we treat others better than we treat ourselves? That golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What about judging? Do we judge others? Do we judge others to make them feel bad, put them down, elevate ourselves? You think about the 
the bullies that you come across, right? And you, you hear stories of bullies all the time, but what's a bully really doing? Trying to make themselves better than you by putting you down, whether physically, verbally, mentally, emotionally. So you're putting these people down because you judge them. You make them feel bad. But usually when you judge other people, you're trying to cover insecurities in your own self. You're trying to cover up your own weaknesses, things that you can't live up to. When we look in the mirror, especially as people get older, especially if you're in Hollywood, you start to see wrinkles, skin colorations that are different than when you were younger, maybe some sagging skin. So you go get Botox or plastic surgery, and then you come out looking however you come looking out. Some look good. Some look like a circus clown. But you change, and it's usually for superficial reasons, but you change your appearance. Well, if we take a look at ourselves through this manner, maybe we can change ourselves, but not necessarily cosmetically, but like really down to the core, the core and essence of who we are. So if I'm thinking I'm better than others, now it's okay to be confident. It's okay to, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance, Confidence is you ha- you know you have the ability to get the job done or to do something, and so you set forth to go do it. Arrogance is you want other people to think that you can get the job done, and therefore you act accordingly. Now, you may be able to, but you're insecure in that, and so you need to be arrogant about it. You need to boast about it. You need to make sure that others see that because there's some sort of inadequacy in you that you're trying to cover up. So do I think I'm better than others? Am I treating others less than me? How do I treat others? I guess it comes down to. Am I judging? Am I following the golden rule? Am I doing unto others as they would do unto me? Or is my belief system in others, my self-righteousness, how I judge others, treat others, think of others? Is it based in some belief system? A belief system that might be a religious system. It might be Christianity. It might be some other form of religion, some other form of belief that encourages me to treat others equal and fair and even putting others first. I mean, there's a novel concept, right? Putting other people first. I mean, you think about some of the great self-sacrificing people in history, Gandhi. Again, not everybody's perfect, but... On the whole, what he did was for the people, not necessarily for himself, but let's go with Gandhi. What about Martin Luther King Jr., assassinated for his beliefs, trying to bring equality amongst people? What about Mother Teresa? You ever stop to, we all know Mother Teresa. You say her name and a lot of people are going to know her, although I do have to be careful because as I get older and I speak to younger generations, they're not too they're they're not in the know, I guess you can say, with some of these people that we speak of, but Mother Teresa and the work that she did, or maybe a religious figure like Jesus. The common theme across these four people is what they did wasn't necessarily for themselves. In fact, it was to serve other people, to put other people first, to make them lower than the rest of us. You can't be a Mother Teresa and do what she did without having humility, without having 
a heart for other people. Same with Gandhi. Same with MLK. And then, of course, Jesus on a whole other plane, being God coming down and taking on a punishment that he did not deserve, nor did he do anything for, but took it on for us. And then you look at other people today. Look at the Bill Gates of the world, the John Kerry's, the Al Gore's. Politicians who have been in office for decades. What about politicians just in general? Seems like they're self-righteous. Seems like they think of themselves better than others. They treat themselves better than others. They judge others as lower. Remember Hillary Clinton, the deplorables? And now we've got what, MAGA Republicans? All these things are meant to put you down make them feel better because they have inadequacies in themselves or just what about in general narcissists or bullies or people that just like to play games in life. So we look at these things and we ask ourselves, am I self-righteous or is my righteousness rooted in something else? Maybe like faith, charity, or love. That's a good question to start off with when we check ourselves to see what it is or how our character is doing. Well, what about my behavior? Is it intentional? Is it intentionally good or is it intentionally bad? I mean, think about that. How purposeful are your actions? What intent do you plan on when you act a certain way or when you approach someone, treat someone, think of someone a certain way? Are you intentionally trying to hurt them? I mean, you think about, in fact, I was talking about somebody, was it J.C. Dugard or J.C. Duggard? She was the one that was kidnapped, I think, you know, a number of years ago, maybe 1991 or maybe back in the, in the 1980s and then it was discovered in the 1990s, but she was kidnapped and was held captive for a number of years, right? Or any number of people, okay? You can think of Ted Bundy and those serial killers, Charles Manson, but they were intentionally out there trying to hurt somebody. And you look upon them and naturally we think they're bad. But then there's other people that do it subtly. Their intention is to hurt others. Maybe they go around talking bad about people, gossiping behind your back, whispering things, trying to instill doubt in coworkers, saying you can't get the job done. And then, of course, they're wanting to get that job, right? Are you intentionally doing good, going out of your way to help people? Are your motives pure and genuine or are they self-serving? Like Mother Teresa, self-serving? Absolutely not. How can you be self-serving in that type of environment? What about Gandhi? What about any other number of people that have done things? Just what about doctors? What about police? I mean, there's some people that are still good people in those professions. What about military? You know, they're out there doing it putting their lives on the line, military, police. Sure, there could be some good salaries in there, but probably not worth what they're putting on the line in their life, right? Is their life worth $70,000 a year? Probably worth a lot more, especially to their families. But, that, but, that, but they're out there doing it, so their motives are pure. And of course, there's some that aren't. The motives are genuine. But of course, there's some that try to take advantage of the system. We see that in education. With teachers, there's some teachers out there that are truly trying to educate and make it better for their students. And then there's others that are using the system. We see it. 
Every day you can pop open the news and see stories, both good and bad, of educators, of anybody for that matter. Ask yourself, what do you want in return for what you're doing? If it's something that is self-serving, then maybe your motives and the intentional behavior that you're doing isn't necessarily good. You know, we all know somebody that has tried to hurt us intentionally, sabotage our careers, do things to make us look bad, treat us bad. Maybe they've even lied and gone out of their way to do harmful things. I mean, went through the pandemic and politicians, they intentionally did a lot of bad things. And in fact, now years later, their intentional bad things actually caused a lot of people a lot of harm. You think about some other things. I read a story about, remember when we had no eggs? I don't know if it's still the same thing, but then this story started to pop up about how the chicken feed was keeping chickens from laying eggs. And it seemed to be the Perina, uh, was it Perina brand? Now you can do your own research into it, but was that intentional? Because then as people started to feed the chickens different types of feed, Remember the baby formula shortage? Was that intentional? I mean, there's a lot of people. We mentioned Bill Gates earlier. There's a lot of people behind and pushing an agenda to alter the population on the planet, to change things. What about stopping domestic oil production so gas prices go high? Because if gas prices go high, then maybe... People want electric vehicles. Or what about something more close to home? People exclude you from parties, exclude you from family events, and then post those pictures on social media, hoping that you see it, make you feel bad, not including you into it, right? So again, you have to ask yourself, is your behavior intentional? Whether it's good or bad, is it intentional? What's the purpose? What's your motives? What's your intention? What do you want in return? Most of the time, if you're doing something for good, you don't really want anything in return, right? You just want to do it and have at it. But if you want the accolades, then perhaps your motives are self-serving. Maybe you're self-righteous. Again, these are just some questions that we ask ourselves to check what our character is like, you know, a self-critique of our character. Oftentimes we have to do these self-critiques or, you know, take these surveys, judging ourselves on our work performances, you know. And so, again, in life, sometimes it's good to do that. And these might be some questions. Again, the first one was, am I self-righteous or is my righteousness rooted in something else? The second one is my behavior intentional, whether that be good or bad. How about this one? Am I judging others? holding a grudge, forgiving others. Okay, we all know that we, we judge, okay? It's from the superficial, the way they look, the clothes they wear, the friends they have, a little bit more serious, the religious beliefs, or maybe even their political beliefs. You know, we've talked about forgiveness before on the show, but again, forgiveness is letting go of the wrong that someone else has done to you so that you, yourself, me, myself, we can heal and move on, okay? Forgiveness isn't necessarily about the other person because you can forgive the other person, but that doesn't mean you forget, nor do you have to trust them again. 
But if we hold a grudge, that's going to eat away at us. Wanting revenge, being mad. Okay, that's all upsetting to the soul. And when our soul is upset, then our essence starts to become destroyed. And then some of the other stuff that we just talked about starts to come out. We start to become self-righteous. Our intentional motives become bad. So holding a grudge, wanting revenge, it's all bad for the soul. We should give it up. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it takes time. But if we're constantly working toward that, then that's a good thing. I mean, how many, how many of you have been hurt before? Maybe in a breakup, maybe in a job situation, family situation, and you hold that grudge. How's it worked out? You see it on TV and the movies all the time, and granted, it's TV and the movies, and it's a plot, but they all want revenge, and it eats them alive, right? It eats them alive to the point where if they had another mission, I think it's Patriots game, right, with um, Harrison Ford. In the early part of the movie, Harrison Ford intervenes in an assassination attempt on the royal family, and then one of the assassin's brother dies. So the brother that lives becomes obsessed with Harrison Ford's character, Jack Ryan. And then as the movie goes and the plot continues, there's a mission to assassinate the royals, and the group is still trying to do that, but this assassin whose brother was assassinated becomes obsessed and focused only on revenge and blows the mission and ends up shooting and killing some of his colleagues that were trying to assassinate the royals. So the revenge motive consumed him to the point where the mission that what he was originally on in the beginning of the movie didn't matter anymore. And that's like us sometimes. We sabotage your own self. I mean, think about this. We sabotage our own self and our lives become because become obsessed. The obsession of wanting revenge, the obsession of wanting to pay back somebody for what they've done to us, that revenge just sitting there rotting away our insides destroying the essence of who we are. I mean, that's a negative thing. That's something that is going to destroy us unless we give it up. The only way to give it up is forgiveness. Now, once we forgive, it still might take a while to heal, and that's okay. You may never trust the person or want anything to do with that person ever again, and that's fine. But it might take some time, but it's the best thing to do. Because if we're still judging others and holding that grudge, nothing good is going to come from that. And again, we want to raise the standard and bring out our inner greatness. And if we have this layer of grudge and anger and revenge on top of our greatness trying to get out, it's not going to happen. It's going to be like cement covering it. And there's not enough push that away for our greatness to come out. We can't raise the standard on something that is being bogged down because we want revenge. We still have hatred and anger in our hearts, but we give it up. And now that greatness can come out. Now our essence can be restored. Our soul can begin to heal and we become a better person. Kathy Sanders was a grandmother of Chase and Colton. You may not know their names, but they're two toddlers who died in the Oklahoma City bombing. She wrote a book, Now You See Me, How I Forgave the Unforgivable. She wrote this, you know, I think it was late 90s, maybe the early 2000s. It's an excellent book if you really want to read something about a personal journey of forgiveness. It tells her story. Starting April 19th, 1995, when the bomb went off, to... 
her journey of eventually forgiving Terry Nichols and even forging a friendship with him to a certain extent. And through this, you, you see, because I guess the quest started out with why. We all want to know why. You know, someone dies, why? Why, why, why? That's always the question. We never know. We never have con- um, closure on that. There's never a conclusion on that. But through this process, she began to forgive, and the why no mattered uh, was no matter or no longer mattered. The why no longer mattered. Of course, she still believes that punishment should happen and that he belongs in jail, but her forgiveness set free her bitterness, her anger, her hatred, her vengeance, which all was destroying her soul. And there's many other stories out there like that, but it's something that you should check out. I remember going to the Oklahoma City bombing site and you see all those chairs and then the little chairs for the kids and you sit there in silence and you think about all that took place, all the lives that were destroyed that day, all the sadness and then all the anger, all the hatred that took place. Probably a lot of people want revenge too, right? I mean, the act itself. Timothy McVeigh was acting out of revenge because of what happened at Waco. And that's probably a good analogy. I mean, Think about what happened at Waco, Texas. The government going in and doing what they did. Now, you can be the judge of whether it was good or not, but what happened, happened. Timothy McVeigh sees it, and then he plots his revenge because he was angered by it. Instead of just letting it go, Oklahoma City bombing happened. We're kind of like that Timothy McVeigh. Things happen to us, okay? We don't like what we see. But are we going to go then blow up the rest of our lives and maybe the lives of other people too because we can't let go of that anger? If you ever get the opportunity to go see it, I recommend it. And then there's a fence and people still have their pictures up there and Chase and Colton, their picture is still up there these many years later. And it really does make you step back and really be grateful for the things that we have and well, put our pettiness into perspective and maybe some of what we're talking about really stems from pettiness. Maybe there are some some some, some, some sincere things that um, we're dealing with. But then also maybe some of it's pettiness. And then the final question would be, am I serving others or my own interest? You know, society is filled with self-serving agendas. People that only want to take care of themselves. Are you one of them? Am I one of them? There's a saying, comes from the Bible, I believe Jesus said it, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, meaning that great leaders are those who serve the people under them. Now, you're not subservient to them, but you serve them. Today, the leaders, it's all about the masses, treating them as kings, politicians, celebrities, athletes, educators, businessmen, priests, religious people. The mantra is, I'm better than you, so treat me accordingly. And we definitely saw that during the pandemic, right? We see it in the legal system. We see it in families, in our social circles. We should be building other people up, helping each other, serving each other in a gracious manner. And then when we receive these same services, we're being gracious. We're helping. We're being thankful to be able to help, to provide opportunity to help somebody else out. Okay, so we do that, but if someone does it to us, 
no matter what the situation should be, there should be a gratitude, gratefulness, maybe some humility that someone is actually helping me appreciate the goodness that they're doing. You can ask yourself this question if you want to know the motives of someone. Just ask these questions. What purpose does it serve? Who's benefiting from it? And why are they doing this? If you can answer all three of those questions, then you probably have a good understanding of why they're doing it. And it could be good or bad. What's the purpose? They're just being kind. Who's benefiting it from it? Well, they're helping me, so I am. Why are they doing it? Because they saw that I was down on my luck or needed help? Whatever the case may be. Versus what purpose does this serve? Well, they've got an agenda. Maybe it's wanting to do away with guns. So they say we need to save the kids and do away with guns. Well, who's benefiting from it? Well, maybe legal owners of guns because obviously criminals don't follow the law. We know that. And why are they doing this? Because maybe they have a further agenda that if they disarm the citizenry, then they can push their more liberal agenda on people. Because you go back to guns, they say they want to save it for the kids or they want to get rid of guns to save kids. But then again, they're pro-abortion, pro-puberty blockers, pro-gender mutilations, pro-nothing kids. That's all serving their own purpose. So if you answer those questions, that will let you know the motives behind the actions that someone is doing. And if it's a self-serving agenda or if it's something that is genuine and real. So ask yourself these questions. Self-check. And you can see what your character is. Self-evaluation. Am I self-righteous or is my righteousness rooted in something else? Like maybe faith, charity, love. Is my behavior intentional? Whether good or bad. Especially if it's bad. Is it intentionally bad at what I'm doing? Or am I trying to be good with it? Because intentional equals motives. Motives equals what's on the heart. Am I judging others? Am I holding the grudge or have I forgiven others? And am I serving my own interest or am I serving the interest of others? And again, if you can answer those questions, or I guess you could say how you answer those questions will determine exactly what type of character you have. And then maybe you have to adjust accordingly. Or maybe you're doing all right. So when you think of the Hall of Fame, any Hall of Fame, you probably think greatest ever, right? Well, you think of the Hall of Fame for baseball, maybe names like Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Nolan Ryan, seven no-hitters, Hank Aaron. 715th home run broke Babe Ruth's long-standing home run record. Went on to hit 755. Maybe in the NBA, you say names like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Larry Bird, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain. Hall of Fame, right? NFL, maybe Tom Brady. We all know he will be in the Hall of Fame, but his name is synonymous with greatness of greatness, right? Goat, greatest of all time. Dan Marino, Emmett Smith, Terry Bradshaw, Reggie White, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders. And then how about some people that might 
be considered really, really good, but aren't in the Hall of Fame yet, and maybe or maybe not. Are they worthy of it? I mean, one of my personal favorites, Joe Maurer, Minnesota Twins. You know, went from catcher to first base. A lot of people thought if he stayed behind the plate, he would be a definite Hall of Famer. But at first base, is he? I'll let the experts debate that. But somebody who's right there on the cusp, excellent player. But did he really put up the numbers? And did he really do the things that he needed to do to get in? Tommy John, the surgery is named after him. Excellent pitcher. Not in the Hall of Fame. Andy Pettit, Todd Helton, Lou Whitaker. In the NFL, names like L.C. Greenwood. Heinz Ward, Roger Craig, Torrey Holt, wide receiver of the Rams in the 90s. I think Torrey Holt was named all named to the all-decade team of the 90s, not in the Hall of Fame. And if you think of Hall of Fame and you think of all the different ballots, especially in baseball, you can go on the Hall of Fame, like, you know, ballot after ballot after ballot, not make it. And at some point, you can still make it. Is it something that should be a first ballot? Is it something that should be, oh, yes, automatically Hall of Fame? Or if you don't make first, second, third ballot, should you still be on it? I mean, there are some people that have been on Hall of Fame ballots but didn't quite make the cut, and they just sit right below the cut, but they're on there all the time. Ten years from now, does that make them Hall of Fame worthy? Or is it either now or never? Well, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which has had 365 inductees since 1986, came out with their list of the class of 2023. Now, for performers, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame criteria states artists who have created music whose originality, impact, and influence has changed the course of rock and roll. Well, I think changing the course of rock and roll in today's day and age might be a little bit harder because there's been a lot out there already. I mean, initially you think of Nirvana changing rock and roll. It went from the 80s hair bands on the Sunset Strip to this grunge. I'm going to go to, you know, Goodwill and get some cardigans and some corduroy, not wash my hair for a month, pick up a guitar and make millions. And so the inductees for this year, Kate Bush, Cheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, George Michael, Willie Nelson, Rage Against the Machine, and the Spinners. Are they Hall of Fame worthy? I mean, I think about the Spinners. They've been nominated three times before they were selected. Just like some of these players I mentioned before, good enough, maybe, maybe not to get in. Time will tell. But if you've been nominated three times, what makes you a Hall of Fame this time? Just asking the question, not don't jump me. But are these Hall of Fame people? I mean, Kate Bush, see, to me, Hall of Fame is the greatest of the great. If you say their name, no doubt about it. Kate Bush, I don't know. To me, doesn't sound like a Hall of Fame. I mean, Hall of Fame, you think of that first class in 1986, Chuck Berry, James Brown, Elvis Presley, Ray Charles, Buddy Holly, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis. Those names jump off the page, Hall of Fame. Okay, second year, 1987. B.B. King, Marvin Gaye, Bo Diddley, Roy Orbison, Hank Williams, obviously, jumps off the page. How about the next year? The Beach Boys, the Beatles, Bob Dylan, Barry Gordy, who founded Motown, talk about changing the face of rock and roll, and then the Supremes, one of the great acts from Motown, or the Rolling Stones in 1989, The Temptations, Stevie Wonder. How about 1990? The Four Seasons, The Four Tops, Simon and Garfunkel, what about the songwriting trio of Motown, Holland, Dozier, and Holland? Again, talk about changing the face of rock and roll. The Who, Louis Armstrong, 
Those are the first five classes. And I pushed it out five years because apparently maybe there's only so many people that can get in, even though there's a lot of people worthy of it. And then how about some others that made it in? Alice Cooper, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Queen, Run DMC, Van Halen, U2, The Grateful Dead. You know, Queen, they came out with Bohemian Rhapsody and they were adamant on it being a six-minute song, like in its entirety. And at the time, radio did not play those long-format songs. Radio was three minutes, and that was it. That's why a lot of the Beatles, for example, and a lot of those older songs from Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard, Butter Holly, they're all under three minutes because radio at three minutes, that was kind of the limit right there. And then Freddie Mercury was like, no, I want this long-form song in its entirety. And it, one guy, one DJ played it. And the rest, as they say, became history. And then that forever changed radio. So one song, talk about changing the course of rock and roll, allowed for longer songs now to be played on the radio. But if you take a look at Kate Bush, what about Sheryl Crow? Now, I know Sheryl Crow has been nominated uh, and has won a lot of Grammy Awards. So she is very good. A lot of good songs out there that people like. But is it Hall of Fame? Or she's someone that's right there on the cusp, but not quite Hall of Fame. Now, Missy Elliott, again, somebody that, is she Hall of Fame material? Well, I guess the one thing that does make her qualify as far as changing rock and roll or changing music, having originality and impact and influence, is the fact that she's the first female hip-hop artist nominated and inducted. So maybe somebody like that qualifies as we move forward into this Hall of Fame, or is it just the Hall of Very Good People? Maybe it's the Hall of Fame plus some very good people. Maybe we change the name. George Michael. Wham, and then his solo act. What about Willie Nelson? Is it just because he turned 90 or whatever milestone birthday he had recently? Why not years before? He hasn't done anything really in this last few years, has he? Rage Against the Machine. And then I mentioned the Spinners. So those are the acts going into the 2023 Hall of Fame this year at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But are they Hall of Fame material? I'll let you decide and debate that. But when you look at some of the artists before, you know, that I mentioned, I mean, you think about that first class, you think of someone like Elvis Presley, Ray Charles, you know, Buddy Holly would have had an amazing career if not for that crash near Mason City, Iowa with Richie Valens and the Big Bopper. In fact, they always say if you can bring back one person for a day, sit on a park bench and talk to them or whatever scenario it is. I know a lot of people say grandma, grandpa, but let's take family out of the equation. Buddy Holly would be one, any number of those people on that plane, but Buddy Holly would be one. Give him a guitar. Hey, create one more hit because he was a young guy. Richie Valens, same way. But B.B. King, Marvin Gaye, these are some names that are Hall of Fame material. The Beatles, British Invasion, the Beach Boys, that whole beach, iconic surfing music. Those are some names that really change things. Run DMC. Run DMC, the forefathers to Missy Elliott getting in. Do you listen to any of these? Do you know them? I'm not too familiar with Kate Bush, to be honest with you. Obviously, I know Sheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, and the rest of them. Don't never listen to Rage Against the Machine. In fact, Soundgarden, I think, was a popular choice to get into the Hall of Fame before Rage Against the Machine, but Rage got in. 
and against their rage against the machine to get in. And then the spinners. So you can decide what is Hall of Fame material, but are we doing Hall of Fame material? Or are we just now the Hall of Very Good because we want people to get in? Remember, everybody gets a trophy nowadays. Academic institutions and school districts, like in Virginia, for example, withholding academic success from students because some of the non-successful academic students feel bad, or at least they think they do, so we have to withhold academic success. We can't allow awards and things like this to be presented to people because it makes the others feel bad. Something to think about. What do you think? Hey, so how's your dating life? In this age of digital technology. Have you, did you have a breakup recently? Do you date online? Some of those online apps, social media apps. Do you do it old school? Are you an OG dater and go to the bars and the clubs and meet people? Do you stalk coworkers? What is your dating life like? Well, when it comes to an end, apparently there are some brand new-ish. I say new-ish because some of these have been around for a while. I think they're just titled differently. But I guess the most recent trend, and like I said, this is one that I think has been around for a while, but the soft breakup. And as I read this, I do this with friends that I'm like, okay, your political ideology especially the last couple of years, has been really off the charts, like, woo, loony bin. And so you start backing away from them. But it's known as the soft breakup. Apparently, it's inspired by ghosting, where you just disappear, right? But instead, soft ghosting, or the soft breakup, as they call it, you're kind of slowly breaking off communication with someone. Maybe you're liking their texts or their pictures or their posts, but less and less and not as frequent and not as quickly. You start to slowly disappear, slowly respond, maybe not texting as much. And then eventually it just fades out instead of that breakup. I don't want to go out with you anymore. We're done. It's just the slow fade out like the end of a Beatles album. Did you do the soft breakup? Are you someone into just letting it fade out? I've let some friendships just fade out. You know, people maybe that you worked with, they became friends, but then you no longer work there and it just becomes nothing. I mean, obviously with friendships, you're not going to really like, hey, break up with you. Unfriending on social media. Do you unfriend people or do you put them on mute or do you pause them for a little bit so you don't appear in their feeds and then, then you cut them loose? But the soft breakup apparently is troubling and people have issues with that. People say she just step up and be a man or I guess a woman because I guess women are non-binary or whatever we are today. Just step up and say, hey, we're done. Call it off. Rip that Band-Aid off. But here are some other things that I find hilarious, actually, to be honest. Paper clipping. Sounds like something kinky in the bedroom, right? No, but paper clipping apparently is a new term for an age-old behavior that allows people to increase their sense of worth by feeding on superficial intermittent intermittent connection and then the emotional response of others. I guess, remember that old Microsoft Word paperclip thing that popped up, if you're old enough to remember that? 
that's where it comes from. Every once in a while, that thing would pop up and give you some sort of advice or some sort of something, a message, and then it would disappear. So that's what paper clipping is. Apparently, you break up with somebody or, you know, maybe you called it off or maybe it was a date that didn't work out, whatever. There was a connection, a relationship. Now there isn't. And every once in a while, you pop in, you pop in, you pop in, and you feed off of that response. Apparently, that's paper clipping. Do you do that? What about cloaking? Sounds mysterious. Cloak and dagger? Well, cloaking is when a person doesn't just stand you up for a date. No, no, no. They then block you on whatever app or communications, apps that you were communicating on, and it's cut and dry. You're done. Hey, I'll meet you at Starbucks Friday, 7 p.m. for some lattes. Do they even do lattes at Starbucks? I'll meet you at the gourmet coffee shop for some tea and crumpets. And then the next thing you know, where are they? Where are they? And then you go to text them or look for them. Gone. Not only have you been ghosted, you've been cloaked. I talked with somebody one time years and years ago. That's why some of these, the terminology just changes. But this one gal was telling me, she's an older lady. She would meet people online. She would tell me that she would request them to meet at a certain Starbucks because it was on the corner, request a certain table, and then she'd do a drive-by. And she'd look at them, and if she didn't like what she saw, she'd just take off, and that was it. She cloaked an OG cloaker from back in the day. What about cookie jarring? Yeah, cookie jarring. This could be something that you might find in the bedroom. The term refers to treating someone as a backup option, a.k.a. side chick, side dude, while you're dating other people. You may not be that serious about your date, but you sporadically dip your hand in a cookie jar. If you don't have any better snacks in front of you, no Scooby snacks, you're going to go to the cookie jar. So who put their hand in the cookie jar? You put your hand in the cookie jar with your side chick because the snacks in front of you were all eaten up. Do you cookie jar? Do you have extra cookies on the side? Maybe some chocolate chip or some sugar cookies? Or are you more of an Oreo? Or maybe those fudge stripes from Keebler? Hopefully not oatmeal and raisin. Those are the worst. I'm surprised I don't have anything like with donuts, like donut holes or cream puffs or bear claws. I'm sure you can come up with some dating things for donuts, can't you? How about you turning? Some people may be too good to be true. You turning refers to falling head over heels for someone, but then you discover something completely off-putting about them, like poor oral hygiene or a recent criminal record. I think there's a big difference between hygiene like mouth hygiene oral hygiene and a criminal record oh you don't make the bed okay i'll uh gonna break up with you oh you have a rap sheet hey right, we're good so you turning you turn the other way towards the end of the relationship because it's a major deal breaker that's you turning so are you one that does the soft breakup, the soft ghosting, where you just eventually fade into non-existence? Do you paperclip? Will you 
break up with somebody, then occasionally pop in, see how they're doing, get a response, and then disappear again? Do you cloak? Do you stand someone for standing up someone for a date is like probably the, the most childish thing you could do. If you commit to a date, at least go out on it. But why would you stand them up? Why, I mean, why'd you stand up? Just call them. Tell them you can't make it. Even if it's the last minute. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't make it. And then if they yell and scream, say, hey, at least I didn't cloak you. Then you can tell them to cloak off. Blocking? Ah. I understand why people block, but again, I really don't. Cookie jarring. Got your side chick, your side dude. Snacks in front of you aren't very good, or maybe they're non-existent at the moment, so you go to the cookie jar, dip your hand in, and pull out something warm and gooey. Or maybe you decide you like somebody, but hey, there's a bad habit, and so peace out. And then my favorite, which... Pocketing. Things are going so well, and you're getting so serious between you and your better half, but they still, and I guess this is pocketing, I guess, is more women looking to men, uh, that relationship that way, because the relationship is going so well, and it's getting so serious, but he still hasn't introduced you to mom. Well, wouldn't that be the monster-in-law, the potential monster-in-law, his mom? Well, if that's the case and he won't introduce you to mom, you've been pocketed. What if that's back pocketed? The quote goes from somebody that's been pocketed. He knows he's never really going to get serious with that person. Uh, It's just a fun relationship. He doesn't see her as a future wife. And why get friends and family involved? You've been pocketed. Remember the 80s, those pants with all those zipper pockets up and down your legs? I guess you could pocket multiple people in those pants. So those are some modern-day terminology of dating things that go on. Do you suffer from that? Or are you someone that's a little bit more adultish that will just be straight up, hey, this is the situation? Or do you just let it fade out? Or any number of things. Or do you have your own terminology of things that you do? But if you do get into a breakup, here's some things that may or may not help. And of course, the first thing is express your emotions because the grieving process, in fact, that's what it is. It's a grieving process. can go through ups and downs. You could experience sadness at one moment, then you're pissed off the next. And then maybe it's a sigh of relief that it's over but you go through and then you're shocked and then you're in denial. You have some pain. You feel betrayed, embarrassed. Hey, where's Johnny? Oh, we broke up. Where's Sally? Oh, we broke up. It's embarrassing. Didn't work out. So you got to acknowledge whatever it is you're feeling. It's legit. Feelings are legit in breakups. I guess I need to qualify that now because feelings aren't always legit. Um, you just got to work your way through those feelings. Got to start uh, finding yourself again. You know, a lot of times you maybe you have certain songs that you listen together, your song, this, Hey, our song is on the radio, right? Maybe there's living arrangements. 
that you have to deal with because now you have to move out, go to different places. Uh, so there's a lot to deal with. So once you acknowledge the feelings are real, and then maybe you talk to somebody, maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's some friends. You know, we always talk about having that close-knit social circle, you know, those people that you can really trust that are there for you to give you that truth, that real-life truth, good or bad. So maybe go talk to that support group, your friends, maybe a therapist, maybe a counselor, like, a, you know, a dating advice counselor, if there's even a legit one, maybe a priest or someone like that. Um, one thing that's advised that I read is to stay socially active. Don't go secluding yourself in the bedroom with a box of Oreos and your pillow and your stuffed animal playing Barry Manilow songs. Not good. But stay social. Stay social active. Go out with your friends. Do things. Push through that is what it says because that will help you with the recovery process. Don't isolate yourself during this delicate time. The closest you can keep your friends, obviously you want some space, but the closest you can keep with them, you can still vent and talk and feel that support and that love that you need, but then they'll also give you some distance. Obviously, you might have to rearrange your living situation. That's why you should probably never live with somebody until you get married, but that's a conversation for another time because marriage is a whole different thing. Uh, Long term, we always talk about it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? And maybe there's no one answer, one size fits all. So focus on long-term recovery because it might take couple of years. I remember one time I walked into a bar in Glendale and the bartender was there and we were swapping stories and she was telling me that she had a breakup and it took her like two to three years to get over it. I was like, two to three years, goodness grief. I was like, wow, speechless. But yeah, I can see that. Might take a couple of years to truly get over somebody long-term. And then you got to make sure that you check your mental health. You know, grief is a process. Doesn't have a timeline. So those people around you that are telling you, hey, it's been a number of years or a number of time or time has passed, get over it. Well, grief does not have a timeline. That's why you need those people around you that are going to support you and make you realize that this is the truth and we need to move towards that truth. The breakup happened, it's over. We need to move toward that, but still give you the time, space, and distance and support to walk that journey with you. Allow yourself to heal in the process, allow the process of life to take place. But also if you are secluded in your bedroom, it's going to take a whole lot longer and probably get a lot more evil or dark. Dark's the word I'm looking for. Or if you stay social and kind of go out with your friends or just kind of try to live life as much as possible, probably going to be a little bit easier. Take care of yourself. Got to reestablish trust at some point. And then eventually you'll get back into a new relationship. And once you get back into that new relationship, then things might be different. So whether it's a breakup is one-sided, mutual, whatever the case may be, you were pocketed, you were pit-pocketed, you were cookie-jarred, you were bear-clawed, you were gumballed, whatever the case may be, it's going to be a process. It's going to take time. It's going to be stressful. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be an array of emotions. Just acknowledge them. But no. So you acknowledge them, the emotions are real. Try to find that support group around you to help you push through, stay active, begin to rebuild your life as much as you can, but know that eventually, because we've all been there, we've all gone through it, 
eventually you'll find somebody else or eventually you'll get over it and eventually you heal and life moves on and then you realize there's so much more out there. Why do I need to be still focused on this thing in the past? Life's a journey, not a destination. And if we enjoy the ride, the good, the bad, the ugly, but we focus on the good and we get that support group around us, we get those people that are going to be there for us, they're going to speak truth to us, even when we don't want to hear the truth. They're going to be good, positive influences. They're going to be the ones whose motives are pure. Like in the beginning, when we talked about that gut check, they're the ones that aren't going to judge you, but they're going to be there for you. They're there for your best interests. They don't have a personal agenda. They're not self-righteous and judging you. Their behavior is intentional, even though you might think it's bad because they're speaking truth to you and you don't want to hear that right now. But they know that eventually this is good for you, so they want to continue to push you to get over that breakup. Two Steps Ed Podcast is the name of the show. I am Son Edom. Always encouraging you to Raise the standard so you can bring out your inner greatness. And when I mean raise the standard, raise the standard of life. Don't just settle for life being a certain way. Make it better for yourself one way or another through education, through learning a trade, a skill, through better relationships, whatever it is, raise that standard in your life. By doing so, your inner greatness can come out. Then you can take your passion, you can make it happen, and let yourself be great. Then you can be an inspiration to others and motivate them to raise their standard, to bring out their inner greatness. And then the cycle repeats, and now we've got some positive things happening in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our social circles, and things start to get better. Check out our website, RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. There's all kinds of things there. You can click the Listen Live button and listen to some great music. You also got some other podcasts that you can hear uh, periodically throughout the day, throughout the entire week. Comes on pretty frequently along with the music. You can click on our logo, the Two Steps Head Podcast logo, and uh, our shows pop up either in the video form that takes you to our Rumble page or on the SoundCloud account, which is an orange bar across the page that takes us to the audio version. That one you can actually download and take the episodes with you on the go. You can listen pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartMedia. You can also just internet search TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. We pop up. Hey, Suri. Hey, Google. Hey, Alexa. Play TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and we pop up. So we're pretty easy to find. Our Instagram, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Same on Facebook. And then our email, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast at gmail.com. So you can find us pretty much anywhere and everywhere using TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. And there we are. Hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. Take your passion. Make it happen. Let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. And until next time, God bless.